Hello everyone and welcome to Volume 5, Issue 202, Mass Effect 3. But before we get into that, play along with Kane and Rince, Volume 5. Uh, next up we have Middle Earth, Shadow of Mordor. Then we continue our trek through the Zelda series with Zelda 2, The Adventure of Link. Then uh, Phoenix Wright, Ace Attorney. Sunset Overdrive, and Street Fighter Zero Alpha Series. Head to com for articles, features, reviews, and links to our forum, Facebook page, and YouTube channel. Uh, also, um, we uh, have announced this already. Um, we're recording this before the announcement, just due to some um, weird uh, scheduling Issues, but um, we are going to uh, uh, have a Patreon set up. Um, I don't know the exact address of the Patreon at the time of recording. I believe it will probably be um, just nice and simple, Cane and Rinse. So just type Patreon and Cane and Rinse into Google and you should find us. But um, it's important to note that everything will still be free. There's, n- it's Nothing's going to be locked behind a paywall for this Patreon. It's just if you feel like contribute, uh, contributing to the podcast and giving a little bit of money our way, uh, f- it, yeah, there's that option for you. But if you don't feel like doing it, don't worry. We'll, you'll still have access to everything that you've been enjoying so far. Also, uh, if you feel like getting something for your money, um, you can head over to the uh, merchandise store and get up, uh, get all sorts of t-shirts and hoodies and bags and what have you. Uh, we only get a you know a couple of uh, pounds worth of profit from those, but they help support the podcast and the website and all sorts. And you get a nice Canarin's branded t-shirt. Um, also, please check out our uh, now quite long-running uh, Sound of Play podcast, uh, where we focus on our favourite bits of video game music. And as always, please review, rate and sub- uh, subscribe to both of our podcasts on iTunes. So joining me, Joshua Garrity, for this issue, Brian Terran. Hello. Ryan Heyman. Hello. And Carl Moon. Hey, guys. So, we last uh, discussed the Mass Effect series on issue 22, where we talked about Mass Effect 1 and Mass Effect 2. Um, So, for those who don't know, the Mass Effect series is a space opera RPG following the exploits of Commander Shepard and his various companions Uh, in their campaign to stop the Reapers, who are an ever-present threat throughout the entire series. In Mass Effect 1 and Mass Effect 2, um, we get a glimpse of the Reapers and what they can do. In Mass Effect 1, Sovereign, of course, appears. And in Mass Effect 2, we feel their presence through the Collectors. But in Mass Effect 3, the Reapers have finally arrived uh, in the galaxy in which Mass Effect takes place. And uh, Shepard is on a quest to unite the galaxy and get them ready for a final showdown with the Reapers. While uh, Earth, unfortunately, is being slowly destroyed uh, by the Reapers. Um, 
So, uh, it, an important thing to note with this game was that the the writer changed uh, for uh, this game. So, the writer for Mass Effect 3 is Mac Walters. Um, and I feel like this change is a source of a lot of frustration uh, for people who played this game. We'll talk about that in detail, but it's important to note that change in the uh, in the team that were working on this game. Uh, but of course, director was Casey Hudson. Um, uh, compose- composing duties were uh, for several people. Um, Sam Hewlett, Chris... Uh, Lennart, uh, Clint Mansell, Chris uh, v- Vesalko, I'm sorry, I'm butchering people's names at the moment, uh, Sh- Shaska Dikanzian, I uh, I apologise for that pronunciation, uh, but uh, anyway, yes, there are quite a few composers on this game. And the game was released on PC, PS3, 360 in March uh, of 2012 in both uh, America and Europe. Um, a little bit earlier in America, as always. And then at, uh, at a later date, uh, in November of that year, uh, the game was released on the Wii U. Uh, let's just jump straight into our histories with the game. Um, let's start with Carl. Yeah, I came into Mass Effect 3 straight off the back of, of playing 1 and 2 when they were uh, originally out. And, and it was a strange one because I, I've had a strange history with Mass Effect. I adored the first one, but it took me ages to complete it. I didn't like the second one. And then when I eventually came around to replaying it or playing it through to completion. Eventually, I ended up adoring it, and I had that same hungry wait for Mass Effect 3 that so many other people did. Uh, and, and to make it all worse, I actually had a friend who was living um, in Canada working for Bioware at the time. It worked on Mass Effect 2 and 3, and he was sending me some of the artwork uh, that was, you know, in... in from the game that he'd been working on and he was just teasing it a little bit more and and he was talking about how you know how he'd been playing it and you know sort of just rubbing it in and and that that made it really difficult uh unfortunately i was unable to secure an early copy so it was a case of waiting and getting it the day release the same as everybody else brian i um can I go back to Mass Effect 1? Because I wasn't on those podcasts. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah so talk I, about your history with the series. Yeah, yeah of course. Yeah, so I was very excited about Mass Effect. Uh, I was working with a guy at the time, uh, and both of us had played Knights of the Old Republic through, and we were really excited about you know the prospect of a new uh, sci-fi RPG from Bioware. So, yeah, Ma- uh, Mass Effect 1 was a day one purchase for me, and I absolutely adored it. I thought it was um, a fantastic game, really lost myself in it. Uh, and then, bizarrely, I uh, didn't pick up Mass Effect 2 for a very long time after release, probably going on to six, eight months. Uh, I'm not sure why. Um, but, yeah, I think uh, once I got into it, uh, it was a, obviously a different experience, but uh loved the game as well. Uh, and the the because of when I bought it, there was a lot of DLC about to come out or had already come out, I, I can't recall which, uh, so I got to play all that, and uh, then later on there was the Arrival DLC that was a really nice teaser and sort of segue into uh, Mass, Effect, Mass Effect 3 and really gave you a kind of uh, a taste of you know what you might expect in the new game. So so I think it's fair to say I was pretty hyped for Mass Effect 3, so I uh, went back to uh, day one purchase uh, for this game. Ryan? Yeah, I played through the original Mass Effect on Xbox 360 when that was still new. 
Um, I, I played through Mass Effect 2 on PC probably a couple years after its launch or uh, um, just somewhere in that interim between 2 and 3. And um, to kind of prep myself for playing Mass Effect 2 on PC, I replayed the original game on PC as well so I can have that save file transfer between all three games because that's kind of a huge part of the experience. And whereas I had a really great experience with Mass Effect 1 in the first place as i put it on 360 kind of enough time had gone by that i started to realize like oh actually this one feels really rough to play by modern standards um but i i got through it really enjoyed mass effect 2 played that through for the first time on pc and then came straight in right around launch time um with mass effect 3 also on the pc to kind of round out that trilogy of games on the same console with my same character carrying over and uh played the rise from ashes dlc along with it just because i felt like adding an extra character to the game felt like a really important addition especially with such a interesting character that we'll talk about later yeah so um i i played mass effect one and mass effect two um i kind of covered my opinions uh on those games in issue 22 um but just for anyone who hasn't listened to those uh that uh that show um i i have mixed feelings about the first one i think the writing and the characters in that first game are fantastic but i just don't think it's uh it's up to much in terms of gameplay and uh, mechanics. I just I found the combat um, just quite dull uh, for the most part, and in, in at worst it was kind of just awful to control, and and the combat just got frustrating at points. Um, that that issue was kind of resolved by Mass Effect Two. Um, a lot of the changes to the mechanics and the combat were a positive step in the right direction for me. And uh, as a result, Mass Effect 2 ended up being one of my absolute favorite games. Um, uh, and one of my favorite games of that year, which is saying something because 2010 was an extremely strong year for games, at least in my opinion. Um, so I was incredibly excited for Mass Effect 3. Um, just the whole uh, idea of having the story that you've created carry over from 1 to 2 to 3 and getting a, uh, getting some closure um, with those characters and, and the character I had created uh, was just... It was extremely exciting, exciting. So, yes, this was a day one purchase for me. Um so I want to I want to talk about the marketing and the pre-order DLC and everything like that around this game because there was a lot of it um before the release of Mass Effect 3 and and I do feel that some of this stuff has gone on to shape people's overall opinion of the game because of some of the decisions that either Bioware or EA made about how it was going to distribute some of the content that is in the game. Um, most notorious of which is the fact that uh, uh, Javik, uh, the 
one of the the Prophean character uh, was a DLC character who was locked behind uh, pre-orders. So if you pre-ordered the game, you got access to Javik uh, for no extra cost. But if you didn't, uh, and if you bought the game pre-owned, then you'd have to uh, uh, purchase the character via the online store. Um, And that caused a lot of controversy because, of course, the Protheans are kind of important to the overall law of uh, of mass effect and kind of the events previous to uh what's happening now so i was so i'm just curious uh how how people felt about that and uh, and did that kind of affect your opinion going into mass effect 3 this sort of pre-order uh, dlc thing doesn't really bother me uh it's uh, you know, it, it can be an incentive, I think, to to purchase things, but I don't really get worked up about what I'm going to get and what I'm not going to get. I don't really uh, see it as being an issue. I know that you know there's a you know a wider debate to be had around it, but it's you know as as it relates to my purchasing and my purchasing behaviour, it doesn't it doesn't really play into it. I'm a regular sort of pre-order of titles, so. It 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 paid into what I was doing anyway. I, I don't necessarily think it's the best way to run uh, the management of a game for the, the the creative team behind it because it it sort of restructures their focus um, of how they can deliver these characters. You know, if if they're delivering something on a pre order, then that will impact on uh, those that do have it, those that don't have it. How do you deliver it? You know, how strong can that character be within that universe if it can no longer be a part of how they're playing? Um, I don't think it was necessarily the best way to do it, but you know, I, I, I pre-order a lot of games anyway, and the pre-ordering of games is is I'm you know I'm not naive to the negative sides of it all, but with a title like Mass Effect Three, where the story was going to be so key, it was something that I was always going to pre-order anyway because I had to get out there before you know the the spoilers were going to come out on social media because people can't help themselves. You're always mm-hmm. going to read or see something on a website or in an RSS feed or whatever, so I had to get the pre-order to play the game anyway. I you see for you see for me when it comes to this sort of you know pre-order DLC, I don't mind when it's like a bonus side quest or you know some kind of armor that is useful for the first half of the game and then and then and then you stop using it or something like that but to hide a a char- you know put a character behind that paywall seemed a bit iffy to me uh, even going into the release um ultimately uh, having now played the game and you know uh played with Javik and and all of that I'm I'm not entirely sure I would have missed him if uh, I, if I didn't have access to him I think he brings a lot of insight into you know the Prophean uh, the Protheans and and the attack the reapers uh uh you know perpetrated on 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 those people uh but just in terms of as a character, as a person, I wanted to interact with. I didn't find Chavik that interesting. Well, um, I mean, that sort of comes into what I was saying before. Like, if if everyone got that character, could they have written him stronger and made him a more core part of that storyline? Yeah, you know, it was always going to have an impact. You, he cannot yeah. be an important part if everyone doesn't have that element. Yeah. You know, so it's, it's silly. Yeah, I thought he was kind of interesting in that, um, and if his personality was like. 
uh, you know, he was willing to fight for the team, but at the same time, he always had those remarks like, yeah, you guys are really primitive, aren't you? Like, by this time in the cycle, like, we had things pretty well figured out. But, uh, um, and it was just, I, I think it, I think it was more significant for, like, the, my conceptualization of the story inside my own head and to yeah. think through, like, what do you, what do I think that he's thinking right now? And it's just interesting to have that character in there, even if he's not doing a lot which might sound like i'm kind of excusing writing that wasn't entirely up to snuff but like i just i don't know i think that it always made me consider every situation i found myself in from a different perspective and even if that wasn't reflected on screen i still think that that was a an interesting dynamic to add to the game yeah he was quite good at needling the other characters as well wasn't he if he was in your squad um, i think that's why i didn't like him though it's just because (laughs) i've i've formed this relationship with tally and and garris over three games and he's uh, you know digging at them and i'm like excuse me like (laughs) i'm a lot closer to these two than you you've just strolled in here i don't know you you could stay on the ship quite frankly like i don't i don't have any time for although you. hey respect your I, elders he is many tens of thousands years old so uh, yeah fair <laughs> enough um did any of you uh play the mass effect info uh infiltrator game that came out before uh mass effect 3 it was kind of it kind of came into existence in order to uh, raise your galactic readiness which is something we'll get into mm-hmm. later on um, did anyone play that? Because I just, when I hear mobile tie-in game, I just automatically avoid yeah, it. No. But did I did? Know? I did. Did you, Brian? I did, what, but what? you know what? The, I didn't remember it until uh, until you sent through the show notes, and I thought, "What's Mass Effect Infiltrator?" I was like, "Oh yeah, I played that on the iPad." Uh, yeah, it was um, uh, forgettable, frankly. <laughs> uh, but it was okay. It you know it wild away. And do you know I actually lost myself uh, quite a lot in the. Um, there was a supporting mobile app to help raise your galactic redness, if I remember correctly. Um, and I, that used to be something I would do for 10 minutes in the morning uh, on the train on the way to work every morning uh, until completion. Uh, so, yeah, <laughs> I was quite happy to do that. We we might as well just explain what go- galactic readiness is right now. Um, for those listening, uh, galactic readiness is a mechanic where um, the more quests you fulfil and more actions you take that uh, uh, help unify people and, and get people to join your cause, the more your galactic readiness meter goes up. Uh, but interestingly... Uh, uh, Bioware decided to tie that in with this mobile game, but also the multiplayer, the co-op multiplayer, which is a new addition for this game um, that we will go into a little bit later on. But essentially, this galactic readiness kind of dictates uh, some of how the ending plays out uh, when when you approach the final uh, final moments of the game. Um, now, I don't really so, understand this system because um, I I did hear a lot of people complaining that if they didn't invest time into the multiplayer, into these mobile companion apps, then they wouldn't be able to achieve the best endings. Although when I played through the game, like I got I, I got all three options for like which ending that I wanted to see. And I, I never touch multiplayer and I never touch mobile apps. And so I don't know if my experience with like the first two games carried over or whether i was just playing the third one really well but i I never run into any kind of 
wall that kept me from progressing. But a lot of people were complaining about that. So maybe I just got yeah, lucky. It was, I think a lot of it was linked in with achievements as well. The actual achievements and trophy systems mm, okay. uh, required a, a certain standard of readiness um, that, you know, for people that were only interested in playing the single player RPG element, uh, they were sort of forced into playing some of the multiplayer to sort of um, heighten those levels just to get an achievement. And it seemed like you've been a bit forced mm. from sort of pillar to post uh, to do to play a game a certain way. And it was like, you know, if you spent, you're very comfortable playing the game the way you already were for the previous two, having yeah. to sort of change up your style to, to meet one new thing that they've added in, it, it felt a little uh, unfair. Um, it's, yeah. it's not something that I particularly liked. I, I think... Overall, it was pretty generous. Like, I, I don't think you had to go really out of your way okay. to get it. Yeah, to get it all the way I, up. Because did they not I, patch something in or something? I, I, I seem to remember um, at, at launch uh, for a while there were issues and right, uh, okay. un- under complaints, something came in with maybe a piece of DLC or a patch. I mean, this is vague from memory, just as we discuss it. But I certainly remember um, something happening me booting the game up and getting an achievement. So hmm. I, I think something changed and then it became a lot more generous. Right. Uh, I I mean, honestly, it's a mechanic that I, yeah. I, I engaged with very little. Just... I was gonna do all of the side quests and all of the yeah, right. <laughs> uh, all of the story missions anyway, and I, I felt that just doing all of those kind of got it high enough anyway, and and so it it didn't feel like a particularly important mechanic by the end. Um, I, I'm sure we'll probably have more to say about galactic readiness later on, but just you know, in terms of first impressions of the game. How did you guys feel about the way the game looked, the way the game sounded now? Um, I I certainly felt that the visuals were the best they had been. Um, You know, it wasn't a huge leap over Mass Effect 2, but it was certainly noticeable, just uh, the the tweaks they had made to the engine. It it just, it, it, it was a very pretty game, and I, I also enjoyed a lot of the music choices they made uh, throughout the game. I mean, the, graphically, it certainly was a, a higher leap if you were playing it through on the 360, because the PS3 version of Mass Effect 2 was sort of on the Mass Effect 3 engine anyway. Um, so the PS with Mass Effect 2, the PS3 version was already prettier than the 360 version. Um, but when you look at them side by side, you can see that it is quite uh, it's it expanded quite nicely graphically uh, as it as it's evolved through the series. You know, it's it's a very nice game. It sounds a little different because the lead composer uh, became Clint Mansell, um, which you know he's very memorable. He's Darren Aronofsky's go-to sort of composer. Uh, for any of those films, and it so it goes um, very much down the requiem for a dream style, bold space opera music, which is great, and it gets you really excited, and you know you it looks fancier than ever, and it sounds fancier than ever, and it certainly feels stronger than ever um, to to play in terms of its mechanics, because uh, you, you know you mentioned how Mass Effect One felt when you were playing it. Uh, Josh, you know, you, you said mechanically it was a little rough, and and Ryan mentioned going back on the PC it was a little rough, and then you you, you know you play Mass Effect three and it, it it's go, goes 
very much down the solid third-person shooter route. It, it feels mm. uh, along the lines of something like a Gears of War, where that that's it was built around that mechanic first, and then the RPG elements were added afterwards. Um, sort of the reverse order of what we saw from the first game. Um, so yeah, you know your first impressions when you're playing it, they're, they're pretty good. You know, it's really the opening of the game and with all the elements together it, there's not a whole lot that you can sort of criticize it for you know while this game looks loads better than mass effect one especially the leap between two and three wasn't as noticeable for me but no. uh if you go back from one to three uh you know it, it does look a lot better but i i feel like uh when mass effect one came out that was like nothing i'd ever seen before and that looked you know, probably the best that was on the system at that time. Uh, whereas by the time Mass Effect 3 came out, I think everybody else had kind of caught up to it. And so it didn't really impress compared against everything else at that point in history. But um, but yeah, I, I think that the mechanical improvement from especially 1 to 2 was extremely significant. Uh, I still don't think it's like a as... Um, as meaty or as uh you know the guns don't feel as nice as something like a gears of war or a battlefield no. or anything like that but it's uh it was a huge improvement over one um so yeah all these comparisons that i'm making are pretty much between one and two and two and three was kind of an incremental like i kind of consider uh two and three to be analog- analogous to the uh uncharted two and three where it's like essentially this is a very very similar game but it's a huge improvement mm. over one so you know for what it's, it's worth pure refinement isn't it between yeah, two and yeah. three more whereas one and two was a complete leap um in terms of right well pretty much everything <laughs> um certainly in core mechanics of how it how it plays uh you know it, it it's strange because i think um when, when i played mass effect 2 it felt very much like you were playing an rpg with a shooter and mm-hmm. when I was playing mm. Mass Effect 3, it felt like I was playing a shooter that had elements of an RPG. And I, mm. I, I think that's where the, the real difference for me felt. Um, it felt now that I was playing a shooter. I think you felt more mobile in Mass Effect mm. 3, though. It, you felt like you were um, managing space more than you were managing tactics, if, if that sort of makes mm. sense. It, you okay. know, I, I remember certainly... Uh, you know, I played as a, an infiltrator class, so I had a mixture of tech powers and and uh, shooting skills. Um, but the the tech powers had kind of, you, you just you felt like you were using the tech powers to supplement the the combat, the the, the sh- you know the the shooting combat rather than whereas if you can play compare it to say to the first game or even a bit more, a bit more to the second, you were kind of I was well, I certainly was leading with the tech powers and then. Yeah shooting afterwards so uh yeah that certainly felt i would say yeah much more gears of war style much more solidly third person shooter graphically though josh you asked about that I, I, um, i'm trying to work out who borrowed from who uh whether jj abrams or bioware <laughs> were borrowing lens flare and you know gra- uh, concept sci-fi design concepts because there is definitely you know if you look at something like the jj abrams star trek uh, there's a, there's a similarity there they've 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 of, of a of a similar uh, piece i think 
So, as you make your way across the galaxy trying to unify everyone against uh, the common foe, that is the Reapers, you encounter some old friends, you encounter some new friends, um, some of them join your squad, um, others uh, take a more backseat role uh, in this adventure. Um, so I'm curious to see what guy, what you guys thought of who, uh, you know, the people they chose to for your squad members in this game, um, who you felt should have been uh, a squad mm. member in this game uh, specifically, and what you felt about the new characters, uh, James Vega and uh, Javik, as uh, part of your team. It was really great to have Liara back. Like She was always one of my favorite characters throughout the entire game or series. Um, it was kind of too bad to see her go during Mass Effect 2, although she was up to some interesting stuff as there uh, there as well. Um, Tally is, is you know, good as usual. And Garrus is our old reliable buddy. Um, <laughs> yeah. Pretty cool to have Edie being able to play a more central role this time around. Um, it, yeah, we can talk about the implementation of that later, but... Um, yeah, it's just interesting to have her off the ship and exploring the world now. Yeah. Um, yeah. James Vega, I found a little boring, and so I just wouldn't bring him yeah. along because he didn't really have anything that made him compelling. Uh, and then, yeah, so you know. um, J- J- James Vega was voiced by Freddie Prince Jr., who would go on to voice Iron Bull in uh, Dragon Age Inquisition mm-hmm. uh, at a later date. I, I, I mean, I agree with you, Ryan. I, it, the character feels kind of shoved in last minute, both in terms of you know his personality, his and his kind of place in the plot, but also the character model doesn't look as well designed as some of our you know older friends um it just kind of looks like a muscular space marine like a gears of war character and his face and his face looks more like some of the generic npcs that you encounter in the world rather than you know you Mm. know faces like miranda or garris or, or 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 what have you who you know, feel like they were really, you know, a lot of attention was paid to how those characters looked to make sure they had an iconic, uh, you know, uh, visual design. Whereas he just, yeah, he's just a space marine. And as a result, I mean, to be honest with you, I I hardly interacted with him. Yeah. Like, I, I had my initial introduction, hey, I'm James Vega, hey, I'm, I'm Commander Shepard. And from that point on... I just didn't bother with him, and I don't feel like I missed out in really. Did he contribute to much more than the romance option? I I, I can't. I'm honestly like I I can't think of a single significant story moment in that game where I I felt like James Vega was important. Yeah. Um, uh, I I can think of plenty of those moments with characters that I I've come to love over the course of the series, but. James Vega seemed just to be there as a romance option and nothing much more than that. I think with James uh, Vega, it, it was it's always hard to implement a new character because you've got the lot of, a lot of love for the older ones. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, you know, you mentioned how Javik would sort of needle the old characters and you're like, well, you know, you'd have that attitude of, who are you to do this? You know, these guys have been across the galaxy with me. You're just here for five minutes. And, and uh, for me... James played that sort of middle ground, and mm. I, I quite enjoyed it. You know, I would I would go down to the hangar and I'd go and speak with him, and I thought he, I genuinely kind of liked him as a character. 
Um, he yeah. was nothing spectacular. I mean, let's be honest, he, he's no Tally or Garrus, but Tally and Garrus are two really great science fiction video game characters. Um, but, yeah. And with, with James, that was never supposed to be the case. You know, he's, he's better than Jacob. Yeah. <laughs> let's just be honest. You know, well, I mean, even, like, the thing is, you say that, but Jacob, at least, I, I mean, I agree with you, he's not very interesting as a character, but at least that character had a great visual design that's immediately identifiable. Like, Jacob, you know Jacob the moment you see him. Like, he's not mm. a forgettable character visually. Whereas James Vega kind of just blends in with every other NPC. And yeah, it just yeah, feels I a bit lazy. But um, uh, but I, I, do, I do know why he's introduced. Because um, if... Tally and Garrus died in Mass Effect 2. Your your uh, squad members are reduced to just uh, Caden or Ashley, Liara, James Vega, Edie, and Javik. That's yeah. all yeah. you get. And, uh, and you, needed, you needed to pre-order for Javik, so you could have been yeah, another man. Yeah. So it could have been even less than that. So I I do know why he was introduced yeah. because uh, there was a possibility that two of your your squad members. Aren't, weren't going to be there but the issue for me is i i just feel like in the when you're when you're wrapping up a trilogy the last entry in that trilogy is not the time to start introducing yes. new characters so you introduce new characters in the fellowship of the ring you introduce new characters in the two towers but by the time you get to return of the king we're focusing on the characters we already know we're not trying to get people to know new people we're just getting on with the story it's also harder to trust those people if they're coming in yeah. on the third one you know it, it's the, the trust sort of formulated all over the previous two games and of course Mass Effect 3 has that difficult task of not only trying to wrap up the trilogy but coming after Mass Effect 2 which you know is a sort of one of those modern classics um, for, for numerous reasons and, and it had many great characters I think when it came to the characters of Mass Effect 3 I was more upset not by the introduction of new characters but for the sudden disappearance of ones that were so key and central in Mass Effect 2 I mean Miranda is an, is an obvious one. Um, she was so important um, with a central role in Mass Effect 2. And then, you know, you, I think you see her for all of five minutes in Mass Effect 3. Yeah, um, yeah she, she has a side mission associated yeah, with her. And but, that was really strange, yeah. and I did not like that because I thought that was an interesting one, especially, you know, if, if she was your romance option from 2 and you're just going into 3 and you're like, yep, well, let's see where this one goes with Miranda, and she's not there. Um, Jack was another really interesting character in Mass Effect 2 that, you know, she went on to good things in Mass Effect 3, but I would have... She was really, really interesting in Mass Effect 2. Like, she was one of my all-time characters that I loved yeah. because she was so different. Um, and, you know, the the lack of her in Mass Effect 3, so that hurt the game a bit for me, to be honest. I, I, I think, I, for me, this speaks to a larger issue with Mass Effect 3. And I, I would like to state at this point that I do feel positively towards Mass Effect 3 overall, but the fact that the game focuses more on the larger kind of political conflicts right. that are going on in the universe and 
trying to resolve every single one of those before kind of descending into the final battle rather than focusing on what is Mass Effect's strongest uh, attribute, which is its characters, was a real downer for me because I would have rather spent so much more time with, uh, you know, Legion, with Jack, with Grunt, with Rex. Um, I mean, some of those characters I mentioned do get, you know, their due in some ways, but... What I'm trying to say really is I I wanted the character-driven stories that were in Mass Effect 2 rather than the kind of more uh, political... Now, I'm not... not, I I feel like it's important to say I'm not saying I'm not interested in that stuff. The Mass Effect universe has done an extremely uh, good job of making me invested in those conflicts. But to focus on them to the detriment of you know focusing on these guys that we've grown to love more than the universe itself yeah. uh, seemed like a misstep to me. I think this is one of the issues you've got with Mass Effect 3 um, on a large scale is that we knew Mass Effect was going to be a trilogy and it's almost like it became it, it came to Mass Effect 3 and the story and the arc and the characters become too grand to try and mm. wrap up in one game. So it's what couldn't you do? You know, it was, can we remove this? Can we remove that? You know, and that kind of thing. And it's those little interactions that you mentioned with the the um, with the characters. You know, I, I remember them meeting Garrus again in the second game and that being a great little story. And then when you get your interactions with Miranda and everything was, you know, each of these characters had these really solid individual moments. And Mass Effect 3 does have these elements. But they're very short. I mean, a a great moment in Mass Effect 3 for me is where you go to the Citadel and you sit and talk with Garrus. And you're shooting cans out the sky. And it's a fantastic moment in that game. But Mm. it's over in five minutes. And that five-minute moment was half an hour, an hour in Mass Effect 2. Yeah, well, they had to to cram a lot in, didn't they? That that's what I mean. It's almost yeah. like should there have been a Mass Effect three or Mass Effect four? Maybe you know what they tried over three games. Could they have done it better over five? You know, it's 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 really strange. And, and yeah, but as as you mentioned earlier, I think when it does focus on the characters and has those moments, it is still really really strong. And I I have to say I f- I feel sorry for anyone who lost a significant uh, amount of their of their suicide squad oh, in uh, yeah. Mass Effect 2 because a lot of my favorite moments in this game are entirely reliant on the fact that I have a previous relationship mm. uh, with these characters um in in Mass Effect 2 and Mass Effect 1 if if Rex had died in Mass Effect 1 going into this game the whole genophage sequence of this game would have been far less interesting because i i've seen on you know youtube and and uh, and various other places how the reeve character plays out if rex has died and he's just not as interesting he's just a a boring you know krogan character whereas whereas rex is this really compelling wise warrior who's not an academic but he is smart and witty and he knows what's best for his people. And all of my interactions with Rex on the ship and then when we were out on the on mission trying to sort all this 
all this, uh, you know, Genophage business out. Those are some of my favourite moments in Mass Effect 3 because Rex is such a great character. And I I can't, like, if if Rex had died in Mass Effect 1 for you... I can't imagine how different like that experience would have been for you because Reeve is just nowhere near as compelling. And once again, it's that introduction of a new character into Mass Effect 3. Um, yeah. You know, you're never going to have that. But I mean, even worse than Rex is if you lost Mardin. Yeah. 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 Well, that was the dramatic high point, I think, of the game. When when you've got that that situation between those two, uh, and if especially you know playing into... Mass, going right back, thinking back to Mass Effect One, when you had to kind of force Rex to abandon his wish to, ha- you know, get the get the Genophage cure, and you live with that for kind of two more games. Being able to then have face that same dilemma again, and having the yeah. weight of that decision, and then having, to, you know, knowing you had to make the right decision for Rex at that point, yeah. and then what it cost you in the long run with Morden was just was amazing. I, that was. So, so for me, like um, in in Mass Effect Two, I chose not to cure or do anything about the genophage uh, genophage problem. And so, when I went into Mass Effect Three and I first met Rex, uh, Rex kind of passive aggressively said something about like, "Well, we used to be friends and stuff like that until you made this decision." And he started, you know, opening up more and giving me a hard time for the fact that I, I I allowed his people to continue to suffer and it was genuinely affecting because I this was a character whose opinion I actually mm. come, had come to respect this wasn't some nobody NPC like I think Rex has got a good head on his shoulders so the fact that he was berating me and, and calling me a traitor and what have you like I felt genuinely bad so yeah it really genuinely hurt me and so i spent all of that section of the game trying to repair this friendship that i had lost Mm. and that that stuff when when mass effect 3 focuses on that stuff and get nails that stuff it it's absolutely at its best it's really great the the uh, and as we said the the only real problem is that it doesn't realize that that it that's its strength um and the Morden moment as well, just that sacrifice. If if you had Paddock instead, how how lacking in in impact would that moment be? Because you, don't, you just move you on, just, I think, wouldn't you? Yeah, you just don't have that relationship. Um, and and again, another moment, um, which is at another section of the game, uh, the conflict between the Geth and the Quarians. Mm. So so at a certain point, um, Shepard has to kind of enter the Geth consensus uh, as a kind of virtual reality sort of level. And you kind of discover how the Geth uh, Quarian War started, and it's revealed that the reason why the Quarians kind of started this war is because one of the Geth asked his master, do I have a soul? And that those words were the beginning of the war and it kind of recontextualizes the entire conflict between these two people because all this time you were like oh well these are you know the geth are trying to destroy their creators they're horrible monsters but now it paints the quarians as just you know selfish masters who wanted all the power to themselves and the consequences that uh, they suffered are of their own creation and then you have this moment where um, 
Legion from Mass Effect 2 is trying to upload the Reaper code in order to give every single Geth unit uh, sentience. And and Tally is begging you, do not do this, because if you do this, the Geth will become so powerful, and the entire Quarian fleet who are up in the sky battling the Geth as we, you know, as this conversation is going on, will be wiped out. And depending on your moral choices in that moment, you can either side with Tally, side with uh, Legion, or manage to create a situation where both of them get what they want. Even, so in in one option, you go with Tally and he basically attacks you, you uh, attacks you and you have to kill him. But the other the other ending is that he uh, realizes in order to upload the code to all the Geth, he has to basically sacrifice his consciousness. And for the first time in you know Mass Effect Two, Mass Effect Three, he starts referring to himself as I instead of we. And it's this realization that the, mm. this robot has suddenly become self-aware and su- suddenly become this individual uh, and as somebody with a soul and with a personality. And he's ju- as soon as he's obtained that, he's having to sacrifice himself. That moment is one of my favorite moments in mm. all of Mass Effect. It is so gut-wrenching and it, and it makes me tear up every time I see it. And it is entirely possible to play through that sequence without Tally and Legion there at all. And I just, I don't know how you could possibly have that sequence without those two characters, because suddenly all of that history, all of that emotional attachment isn't there and and I, I start to look back at the suicide mission in uh, in mass effect 2 as a detriment to this game because it robs so many people who played this game with half their unit wiped out of those kind of moments those moments that have are for me the highlight of this game and again that sort of comes down to uh would mass effect 3 have been better as an individual game would you you know uh, the suicide mission you, like you said you look at it in a detrimental way but it in its own right in mass effect 2 oh yeah it, no, it's at, incredible isn't it so at, at the time it was absolutely the yeah. the the right decision to make dramatically for absolutely. mass effect 2 that moment is key and but it, going into Mass Effect Three, it harms this experience. Absolutely, it does. But at the same time, you know, people go, "Well, I want to keep my same story arc because everyone knows that when it comes to the ending, the story arc from one to three is going to count." You know, the developers have made that perfectly clear. So, as much as it might hurt to lose someone, you you're going to go through the whole twenty odd hour experience of Mass Effect Three with that same story arc, and then you know, we're obviously we're going to discuss the ending at some point. And you think, well, was it all worth it? And I, that's when it really starts to hurt. The game starts to hurt itself um, in in how it how it handles these things. And, and on those core moments, as as you mentioned, I mean, for me, the the, the Geth and the Quarian conflict between Legion and Tally is superb. But the uh, the Mordin moment 
is the one I always remember. And a lot of it yeah. comes from, um, I, I had one copy and I played it upstairs and my father had another copy. He played it downstairs and we'd, you know, we'd go back and forth pretty much nightly to say, you know, what, what have you done? And we'd, we'd discuss these elements. And he, this, this is a guy I've watched movies with and played games with for countless years. And he's, you know, he's an emo- he's an emotional guy, but he's not emotional at media. So, you know, he doesn't get upset at movies. He doesn't really get upset at games or anything like that. And then the moment came where he shot Malden in the back. And I, I swear he went white. And yeah. he froze. And he just went, no, no, turn the game off. Loaded a save from four odd hours earlier and he was yeah. like, that that is not happening that not yeah. that is not happening and it, it's one of those elements where you think well going back sort of goes against what rpgs can do where you you know you live with those sacrifices but at the same time i thought yeah, i sort of understand where he's coming from here you yeah. know that that is a powerful moment in gaming yeah. i don't only don't you know i've never i've said in the past i'd tend not to get emotional at games i just that is not something with me but that is a moment it, it never came to that for me but seeing that uh someone that close to me playing it and knowing how much it meant to them it, it sort of you know it took my breath away a little bit i thought i was really really well done um I think I, I must have been, you know, fortunate that for me, you know, that the main, the sort of my, the main focus for me was always the kind of uh, triangle between uh, Shepard, Tali, and Liara. Those were the sort of, you know, the, those are the two main squad mates, the two main characters for me. And then having them uh, reunited and on the mm-hmm. team for mm-hmm. Mass Effect Three meant that I think I had, I think I had a, maybe a lot more of those. I felt like I had a lot more of those, you know, deep relationship moments. Uh, and so when we went back and we had the cameos to uh, people from games past, it didn't, I didn't feel like it hurt the experience. I mean, there was clearly, there was a sense of, you know, like a farewell tour wanting to get in all the old faces, but yeah. at the same time, you kind of, there, the way they had been worked into the story and the way they, the, the characters that you had touched and the characters that you had met and the ones you had worked with had become influential and important you know, in their own way, outside of you know the Normandy bubble, I thought made uh, you know gave gave it some gave it some weight, gave their appearance some weight beyond just you know a brief hello goodbye. Uh, for me, I, I while I while I completely see what you're saying and uh, the the points you made about you know if you lose these characters, you know where the the game is robbed of some of the um, some of the importance, some of the story uh, weight. Uh, for, for me, it, it, it wasn't uh, it wasn't necessarily an issue. You know, for me, the thing that hurts the experience more than anything else was that it's still tethered to this archaic morality system. And yeah, uh, for me, my favorite moment in the game, and I was I was playing with this game kind of concurrently with my buddy Brody, who was a roommate of mine back when this came out, and um, I was a little bit farther ahead in the game than he was, and so occasionally, like. I'd get to an interesting point and then kind of anxiously await to see what he would do when he got to that same point because, you know, we're very different people. But um, I was role-playing this series and not going for Paragon or Renegade. Like, I was just making the choices that I, as a person, would make in the situation. Whereas I think Brody was going for more of a Paragon run-through. But... Uh, for me, the pivotal moment in this game was the 
Quarian and Geth conflict and having to make that choice of like, what is the right thing to do here? And I made the choice to give freedom to the Geth because I felt like that was the more morally. And I told the Quarian, it's like, okay, guys, back down. Like, you guys are in the wrong here. Don't do this. You're going to get yourself killed. But, you know, they went in there and they ended up, you know, just getting themselves annihilated. But I still felt like I made the right choice. Like, I made the choice that I, as a person, would have made. That was, you know, I was freeing the slaves, essentially. And I was so excited to see what Brody would do when he got to that point. And because he had been playing it through pure reneg or pure Paragon, rather, um, you know, I asked him about it once he got to that point and he said, oh yeah, I just, uh, I said the right thing and they both survived. I'm like, no, that makes that situation so much less interesting. Like you didn't have to make a choice. Like you just had to click the blue option and you got the happy ending. And so for me, like, I felt like I had to make a real gut wrenching choice and he just didn't. And, you know, we get to the end of the game and again, I was faced with the option in the very, very end game option where I had to basically destroy all technology. And so the Gath were essentially wiped out, which is unfortunate for, for me, especially because that's unfortunate. <laughs> so basically these two entire races are dead because of my actions. But I feel like, you know, net net uh, re- result in the galaxy is yeah like i genocided two races and that's horrible but i feel like i made two correct choices that led to to or that led to an awful circumstance in the end yeah i i think that's something that bioware have started to learn uh from their mistakes um uh dragon age inquisition and, and in fact the entire dragon age uh, series uh, doesn't have that kind of yeah, much paragon renegade thing, and and it's more about your relationships with characters, and that there is a choice, kind of not quite, but similar-ish to this in Dragon Age Inquisition, but it doesn't give you that uh, happy ending option. You just have to pick who are you going to sacrifice, uh, and yeah, and it was a more effective dramatic moment because of that. Because and I was left just going, okay, God, I'm just going to put the controller down for a minute because I have no idea who, what choice I'm going to go with here. And yeah, I, I agree. Just being able to pick that blue option is a flaw with all of these games. Absolutely. Um, I f- I think it's become increasingly a a bigger and bigger flaw with each game that comes out. I think. Um, a Mass Effect 2 certainly had situations where it wasn't uh, giving you an easy way out. There was the, uh, I think, classic deci- decision where Shepard was presented with either the option of destroying all of these kind of zealot geth who uh, worship the Reapers as gods or brainwashing them into good geths. And it's kind of, you know, telling you which is the greater evil kind of changing someone to the point where they're no longer the person they once were Mm. or just killing them and that was really effective and it didn't give you an easy way out of that decision whereas here yes you can just kind of go come on guys stop fighting and then everyone stops fighting um right so there are other story moments in this game that i don't feel are as strong uh 
specifically for me the Kai Leng character yeah, yeah. kind of represents <laughs> a real uh, weak point in the game. He just kind of feels like an anti-shepherd they introduced to create some conflict um, during the kind of second act of the game. He just doesn't work. He's he's not he's not interesting, and he just looks kind of faux cool and yeah, you yeah know, it's, edgy. It's, and, feels like and marketing said you. like, wouldn't it be cool if we had a robot ninja? But they weren't uh, yeah. they weren't Kojima enough to pull it off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah it's I mean, not... we're already fighting reapers and trying to save the galaxy. We're supposed to be scared of a ninja. Mm. Yeah. Kojima gets away with it because it's so over the top and silly that somehow it works. Yeah, and that's the university. Whereas built, he- so. yeah, whereas here it just feels so. It felt more weirdly out of to place, me, like um, something yeah. you're expecting, like Human Revolution or that that kind of character. Mm, where yeah, yeah. You know, he belonged in that kind of uh, universe, and in this one, it was just like he's like. A second, he's like someone's whipping boy. He sends out to go and do something, and it's yeah. just like it was just silly. It and, had and no it, impact. And for this character to kind of be the reason why Fane dies, um, Fane is a character who was uh, a party member in Mass Effect Two, and and quickly became a fan favorite. Yeah, he's um, a great character. Yeah, uh, he, he's uh, Fane. I mean to. Uh, sum him up really quickly he's kind of the honorable assassin archetype and he he, there's more to him than that i think he's a really well written and and, and great character but like he's immediately likable because he kind of fits into that kind of uh, honorable assassin archetype that is uh, appealing very quickly i think thing uh, was actually probably the easiest character that they could have messed up with what they intended and what the end result um, they could have made an absolute disaster of him, and he's actually a really good character. A great yeah. visual design on uh, him too. Very good. His uh, eyes. Yeah, kind of insect. And that's yeah, and, and that's why I'm kind of disappointed. That's how we leave that character yeah. um, dying at the hands of this rubbish cyborg <laughs> ninja. Um, yeah, and it, it just feels like a misstep and and a waste of a, a great character from Mass Effect Two. Um, also, uh, I'm not a huge fan of turning ED into a human robot <laughs> instead so of the that. ship's computer. So glad sex-bot. you said that. It's just like, I, I look, as long as there's proper context and what have you, I don't have a problem with, you know, nudity and, and sexualization, <laughs> as long as you create a context in which that's appropriate. But here it was just like, does Edie even have a gender? Do you know what I mean? Like, Edie's just meant to be the personality of the Normandy in a lot of ways. Mm. And to just take that, you know, take that character and then turn her into an object of sexual desire for Joker seemed like a really odd uh, choice. Yeah. I mean, her personality was so good in Mass Effect 2 because she completely counteracted the personality of Joker and it, and it worked as an AI and its pilot. You know, yeah. there was a, there was a humour there and uh, a levity that, that worked really well. And then when you suddenly make her this desire 
sex bot. Yeah, sex bot. To, yeah, exactly. Yeah. It was really strange. But again, this you know you've already covered why this happened. You hit the nail on the head when you mentioned you could have lost so many characters in Mass Effect Two that you needed filler characters to be able to use in Mass Effect yeah. Three, and she was one of them. But it was an easy I- way for them to bring a character we already had. You know, yeah. I, I felt like it was kind of a fun little mix-up to the uh, already kind of complicated relationship between Joker and Edie, in that yeah. if they just did the same bit again, then that would have gotten really old, and so now it kind of, like, turned the entire thing on its head. And I don't know if it was entirely... I, it wasn't as memorable and it wasn't as effective as their relationship in Mass Effect 2, but I thought it kind of added a funny new way to look at it, and it did add a little bit of extra dimensionality to the final choice he had to make at the end of the game. As far as, uh, you know, we can see her as another example of a computer who is just kind of, you know, one step away from life as we know it. Yeah, yeah, it's just, uh, there was something about um, Edie just being the AI that I I liked. Uh, I thought there was a lot of subtle things that they did in Mass Effect 2. The little audio things that you would just hear in in the background between Joker and Edie talking that that for me mm-hmm. it, she just felt forced as a character in Mass Effect 3 uh, uh and I yeah it just it she did so little for me that I actually appreciated her more as an AI in the, in 2 than I did as an actual uh, ally uh, a, a physical combat ally in 3 also um another story beat that I wasn't a fan of was Shepard's uh, visions slash nightmares of the child mm-hmm. of the slow that died. Makes sense. Yeah. It makes sense in one way. Yeah, that died at the beginning of the game. And um it it just it struck me as needlessly clawing uh, you know, cloying and and sentimental. I just let moments speak for themselves for you know for god's sake just let that moment speak for itself yeah. and not have to constantly refer back to it and at the end of the day shepherd's a soldier now i'm not saying that he you know doesn't suffer from you know all sorts of trauma from from what he you know he or she sorry i should say uh, has encountered throughout his journey his or her journey. Uh, this is going to get hard. Um, uh, but yeah, I just I for him, uh, him or her to fixate on this child um, specifically seemed odd in the face of everyone who's died along the way. Um, especially, you know, the suicide mission was not yeah, that long yeah. ago. Uh, you'd think they there'd be more trauma involved in that event than than this event here. Um, it it just it felt like it it just it was too much for me. See, it was just too much. It's really strange because ultimately this all lends itself to the indoctrination theory, right? The, the, yeah, which is not and, true. And they may say, and I'll tell you this: the, the developers <laughs> said that this was never their intention. I'll say this right now: my opinion is that they are lying. There is too okay. much leads up to the indoctrination theory, and the fact is that they've tried to save face with the fact that they've redesigned the new ending. Um, too much, too much links to that indoctrination theory. The kid and the nightmares, inclusive, which yeah, all I kind appear, of agree with that, that all yeah. appear in your. <laughs> the, the, it's all right there in the logs. If, if you look right there in the um, the codex, it's 
there's all the little things it mentions. There are moments where you go down uh, into the um, the hangar and you're talking with uh, James Vega and saying, "Oh, you know, did you hear that noise?" Did you, and he's no. What noise? There's nothing down here. Again, uh, little things. There's, there's so many little elements that link up, and the the kid is a prime example. You know, um, the fact that he's never seen. Other, there's only Shepard sees him. Um, Admiral, uh, what, what's his name? The Admiral uh, Anderson. Uh, sorry, Anderson does not see the kid. The kid gets on the ship. No one acknowledges the kid or tries to help the kid onto the ship. He sees these nightmares uh, again. Indo- all these things are indoctrination theories. They can claim all they want that that was never their original intention. I'm sorry. I think they're lying. Right, well, uh, and, I, I, and those nightmares only make sense in an indoctrination theory. I think, I think, yes, they only make sense in an indoctrination theory. But I'm a great believer in Arkham's Razor. Simplest explanation is always, almost always, the right answer. And I think the reason why they don't make sense is because of incompetence, yeah. not some conspiracy uh, that they're trying to hide the fact that they had a different intention for the ending. I feel like the indoctrination theory relies on the fact that fans are filling in. In voids that weren't deliberate they were accidental um mm. and i i that's and a lot I, of voids to be filling yeah, in you know it's... well i just i there is no reason for the developers to lie about this especially so long after the game if there was if spoiler this was... josh it's not the first time it won't be the last i just i i just can't Based on everything I've seen of the ending as it plays out without the narration of the indoctrination theory video and the and the the basically linking of things that weren't previously linked uh, i I just I can't see it I can't see it and I feel like the extended uh, ending that uh, basically nullifies the indoct- indoctrination oh, the theory. Ending. Yeah, I think it simply fills in gaps and voids that were that allowed the indoctrination theory to flourish, uh, to die because they simply those things weren't filled in because they forgot to. It was I incompetence. Think this, I, I think incompetence does come into it, but I think it's incompetence in how they can deliver the ending. Uh, and when it came down to it, they couldn't clearly define. Uh, the indoctrination theory into a couple of minute ending for everyone to get it from what's been happening from Mass Effect 1 through Mass Effect 3. But if you take all the elements from Mass Effect 1, 2 and 3, and of course, let's not forget, the writing team changed and that is nearly always a disaster um, for, for consistency. Now, we're going to have to agree to disagree on this one, Carl, because otherwise this podcast is going to turn into the Indoctrination Theory podcast. And frankly, there is enough discussion on the internet about <laughs> that theory and, and what happened and, and the ending, to be honest. The, the, um, the yeah, ending but you, but of you this game... you can't discuss Mass Effect 3 and not discuss the ending. Oh, no, no, we are, we are going to discuss the ending. I'm simply trying to make it clear that with this podcast, I feel like I'm very glad that up until this point we've managed to talk about aspects of the well, game that's other the than crazy the thing is myself and you have actually matched up exactly on all yeah. the points which is kind yeah. of weird 
<laughs> we do agree sometimes, <laughs> Carl. Um, um, so as you enter the final portion of the game and enter the ending, um, depending on your galactic readiness before you uh, initiate the final battle on Earth, uh, the ending can play out in different ways and certain choices will be locked off. So... For example, if you have below 1,750 um, effective military strength, the only option you have is the destruction ending. Um, just to clarify that, at the end of the game, you are given free choices, or you could be given free choices. Uh, one of them is destruction, which basically destroys all of the mechanical uh, life forms out there, Reapers, Geth, what have you. The other one is Control, where you take over the uh, Reapers and, and basically uh, command them. Uh, and then the there is the Synthesis ending, where you sacrifice yourself in order to allow both mechanical and uh, living creatures to kind of become a combination of the two so that uh, uh, synthetic life forms and organic life forms can live in harmony. Uh, but based on your effective military strength, some of these choices will be locked off to you. So if you've got a low effective military strength, you only have access to the uh, the destruction ending, and none of your crew survive. The Normandy crew all die, um, and so do you. Um, and effectively, the more military strength you have, the more choices open up to you. So if you have over... Um, were, uh, 1,750, the control ending opens up to you, but uh, some of your squad mates die still, and you die still, and what have you. Um, and basically, it becomes the more military strength you have, the more of these choices open up. Synthesis doesn't open up until you reach an effective military strength of 2,800 or over. Um and if you get 4,000 and over and pick the destruction ending, Shepard potentially can live. Um, and it also affects how many of your squad mates survive. Um, if you've got a really high effective military strength, all of your squad mates survive. If you have a really low one, most of them will die. Um, so how do we feel about these free choices um there there was a lot of you know controversy about this ending which we will talk about how it kind of reduced all of the choices you had uh up until that point in the game to just this simple free option choice which didn't really you know the difference between them isn't really that huge in the grander sense of things. Um, yeah, you yeah. Know, I'm going to have and, to disagree with that point because okay, um, yeah. I, I think the controversy surrounded, uh, um, kind of regarded the way that the pretty much the same video played at the end of all of yeah, three of them. Yeah, they just yeah. kind of like color hued a few things different. And then there were a, a couple small differences here and throughout, but it, it felt like you were just receiving the same video as everyone else who had played this game. But you know, for me, I actually, I really liked the original endings of this game because I felt like 
like they were so fundamentally different, the choices that you had to make, and they didn't spell it all out on screen, which meant that you had to kind of use your brain a little bit and think about like, okay, what does what I just chose mean for the the Mass Effect universe? And I had to kind of, you know, go within my own mind and come up with these scenarios and these stories and and it put the the onus back on me which is which is fine with me because you know if shepherd died then i wouldn't be seeing it from his or her perspective anyways uh, i that would be the end of my story and i would just have to speculate on you know what happened after that point and so i think that you know just the the way that these three choices were written and the things that they set up were interesting enough that I was able to take it myself in all sorts of different directions. And I'd love having the conversation with people afterwards and seeing how they justified their decisions and, um, you know, having them poke holes in the other decisions. And all of that was so interesting. And I feel like that conversation would have been undercut if they gave a more clear, definitive video game ending Mm. I I think for me, I actually don't have a problem with what the game is trying to do narratively. It's more that this ending feels out of place in this story. Uh, For me, Mass Effect had always been kind of this classic saga, this classic kind of space opera adventure... And and ultimately, the thing that I loved most about this experience was the characters, not the world. Um, the world is interesting, but it's not the reason why I'm playing these games. I'm playing these games because I care about Garrus. And as much as people rag on the ending for Return of the King, for having multiple endings... I felt it was completely justified because I had invested so much time with those characters across those three movies that I needed that closure. I needed that sense that um, I knew where everyone was after this epic quest. And the fact that Mass Effect 3 chooses not to do that, not to give me those moments with those characters after the adventure has has uh, has closed and uh, given me a glimpse into kind of what their life is like afterwards i i felt a little bit like well i feel i feel like you guys kind of missed why people were playing these games now i felt shortchanged ultimately yeah mm-hmm. and now having said that i don't agree with the general i say general kind of the very loud and aggressive reaction from certain areas of the internet to this ending i think you know no like art is what it is like you the creator creates it they put it out there and you either like it or you dislike it and then you move on the idea that the audience is entitled to the the exact ending that they desire to me is is not it's just not in keeping with what art is all about people put something out there and you just take away from it what you take away from it and then you move on uh, I was disappointed by the ending, but ultimately I, I don't think uh, changing it w- would be a good idea. I think it it would have 
I think they have, in fact, set a bad precedent by, you know, kind of caving in to fan demand and trying to adjust the ending. I think they should have stuck with their guns, their creative choice. I may not like their creative choice, but it was the choice they made, and I think they should have stuck with it. Um, see, it, it, it's you, you mentioned the creator creates and, you, you know, how they end it and you, you deal with it and move on. And I've sort of referenced this a couple of times. I would agree if Mass Effect 3 was just its own game, if the, if it didn't follow two prior games where I'm so heavily invested in this saga. Um, when it becomes a saga, you have to judge how it wraps that up differently to how it finishes one game. Um, and for me, well, they obviously they revisited it and did the DLC. That for me, they made the end ended even worse. Um, I have a... M- huge issue with how that game ends um I, th- I think it's ridiculous the game opens up you've got reapers which can take out planets at the start of the game the, these reapers are taking down buildings like they're nothing and then you get hit by one running down a street and suddenly you're all right and then you can get on a reaper with an old 60 year old guy and a 40 an eye on 50 year old uh former admiral i mean what it was just so mismanaged in terms of its design, from its its concept to its design to how it was delivered to then redesigning it on a DLC, uh, which was freely delivered. <laughs> they could not have managed that, in my opinion, any worse than they did. I, I, I don't think, for me, I'm going to let uh, Brian and Ryan talk after I've made this point because I feel like they're desperate to get their opinion across about the ending. But... Um, yeah, I for me it was more just they suddenly started uh, making making an ending for a Space Odyssey two thousand one uh, type experience rather than the Star Wars Lord of the Rings type experience mm. that it was up until that point. If this was a standalone sci fi RPG that had no connections to a greater narrative and it ended the way it did, I actually wouldn't have an issue with it whatsoever. I still think it would have been bad, but not as bad. I the thing is, I don't think it's bad. It's just in the wrong game. That's that's my <laughs> issue with it. Like it 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 ends in a very similar way to two thousand one, a Space Odyssey does, yeah, yeah. in that it is kind of up to your interpretation, the audience's interpretation mm. about what's going on, the implications of what's going to happen next afterwards, and that stuff's great. I love oh, that stuff. Yeah, when it's isolated to a single piece of art that is all about that. But Mass Effect was about I, characters. And I you agree can't there, just Josh, throw them you but, can't just throw them aside. Where where my issue is is I haven't got a problem if it had ended the two thousand and one style way that you mentioned. Don't give me three options. <laughs> that that that's where it comes it, it's such a horrible so typical video game ending. Uh it's all, you know, push X to Jason, all that nonsense again. You choose green if you want this ending. No, what? Just I've completed the saga. If you think there's an ending and you want me to deliver it as an isolated event, as if Mass Effect was just its own story, uh, Mass Effect 3 was just its own story, deliver the ending to me as it should be. Don't make me choose this one, two, or three. Eeny, meeny, miny, more. I mean, how ridiculous is that? Yeah. It, it's silly. Well, I wonder if that's where they trip themselves up, really, in, in sort of sticking so closely to that belief that the player has to have full control over all choices. 
right yeah. through to the end. I mean, I, I mean, ge- generally speaking, and this is a very broad generalization. You know, there's always a problem with endings of you know long running series of things that people get personally invested in. You're, you're never going to please everybody all of the time. Mm. Um, never more but, than in sci-fi as well. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. But I think I think you know the the for you know for me it, it did boil down to that A, B, or C choice i had you know after that after the credits rolled you know and the clint mansell score uh swelled and you know you got these little flashes these I, it had it had i think an emotional power for me playing it i felt like i'd you know i'd reached the end of something um and you know the the ending note with the uh the, you know the survivors strand on that uh planet uh, wherever it was, you know, that it spoke to sort of possibilities of where the game could go next, perhaps, or you know what how how it could develop, or even if it was just DLC or something like that. But I, th- I think it was the fact that it boiled down to this these three choices that kind of didn't. I mean, that they they, they were in keeping, I, I guess, to an extent, with the theme of you know synthetics versus organic life. You could see a kind of through line, but it wasn't. The, it always felt like this wasn't where the game was building to. Hmm. Um, I don't know. And I th- I th- they would they okay. would have been better to strip that out, I think, and have yeah. based the, the ending on your decisions, maybe, and just you know enforce an ending on you, mm. or you know, I think if they they could have stuck to the whole, uh, you know, creative vision uh, argument quite well if they, if it was and, a kind of a story and a clear if end. In, if if the indoctrination theory was never in place at this point, why does only one ending have you breathing in the rubble? Well, yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I think that it was fairly narrative consistent, um, narratively consistent with the rest of the series in that, yes, like our in to the story is um, kind of falling in love with these different characters and interfacing with them. But ultimately, Shepard's role in the story was, uh, you know, he and his band were interfacing with the galaxy on a moral and philosophical level and uh all of the choices that we made throughout the series were about you know what does it mean to be alive and what does it mean to have the right to live and the right to reproduce and all of these very philosophical things and so it it makes sense that the end does come down to let's look beyond our friends now and look towards the entire galaxy and say, what does it mean to be a living thing? What does it mean to be an organic being? What does it mean to have free will? Uh, what does it mean to, you know, can we rebuild from scratch as a species, as a collective of species? Uh, what does it mean for the universe to no longer have that intergalactic travel any longer and that communication breaks down and um, all of these questions that I was asking seemed to be the right questions. And, um, you know, ultimately for me, I, I felt like that was a satisfying way to end the series because that is, even if that wasn't the thing that I was most personally connected to, those were the questions that the series was asking the entire time. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with that. It's, I, I think it's all a matter of pacing. Um, you know, as I said, I don't mm, feel like okay, Mass Effect yeah. 3 was the right one to end the game on because... Um, you know, I mentioned that I thought 90% of it was great and 10% of it was bad. Perhaps 90% of it was well-paced and the last 10% was rushed. 
you know the it, the ending definitely feels rushed i think yeah. even even so if you sudden. have a come away from a po- with a positive opinion on the ending i don't think i don't think i've encountered anyone who doesn't feel like the ending kind of rushes towards the finish line a bit yeah. and there were, but there was also just something it, it you know, I looked at a very sort of superficial level. The idea, the ultimate idea of this, the Reapers, this, you know, synthetic life form that had been created by harvesting organic life in order to prevent organic life from being wiped out by synthetic life, just kind of, it was, it, you know, if someone, if you'd have looked at that, I think, you know, if someone had presented that as a story idea, you know, in the draft stage, you probably would have said, could you think of a better rationale? for the existence of the reapers i think personally i think that was i think the motivations of the reapers were perhaps where it for me it kind of uh stretched my uh the the, the reapers are pretty shallow yeah um overall i mean they they, they kind of represent the same kind of threat um i mean throughout the series uh, they try to add more depth to them mm. in this ending but throughout the series, they kind of act the same way as the Eye of Sauron does throughout the Lord yeah. of the Rings movies, where they're just this ever-present evil that doesn't really have any kind of human motivation. They just feel like killing people. So and, that's the strange thing: is your biggest interaction with the Reapers, the the core villain of three, is actually in two. You know, when when you're having the interactions uh, with the with the mindset of the actual Reapers and their and their goals. And then yeah. in three, it's a bit like, eh. I the the thing is, Mass Effect Three gets a lot of stick for its ending, but I I feel like only one of the Mass Effect games actually ends narratively well. Um, I, people tend to forget that Mass Effect 2 ended with a giant, awkward <laughs> human <laughs> reaper that yeah. is never, ever commented on ever again and bears no, you know, uh, has no effect on the plot that unfolds in Mass Effect 3. They just, they made a human reaper. Oh, that's interesting. Let's move on. And that's yeah, they, the they ending of Mass Effect 3. Uh, it's Effect so 2. strange, isn't it? They never once go back to the fact that the the reapers create another reaper out of every species that they dominate and it's like that's such a big element of two and it's like i was kind of intrigued as to where they were going to go with that in three oh, yeah they and they, they never they just went and destroyed buildings yeah mass effect one for me is the only the only mass effect game that kind of ends on a really positive mm-hmm. note i like the suicide mission as a overall i think that's great as a conclusion mm-hmm. but that final moment with the human reaper yeah. was really silly um uh, all all middle stories end awkwardly uh, throughout history don't that, they, that's all what, trilogies so that's why i think people are more forgiving of it because mass effect 2 is the dark middle chapter yeah everyone no one, knew no, it was ending no, with three no one's expecting a satisfactory ending yeah. from the middle chapter but they do expect it from the last one i, but I would say um, I, I, I will forgive uh a disappointing 50 minutes in a series that has given me at, at least 100 hours of yeah of, you know excellent I, gameplay and interaction yeah i i'm in the same boat Okay, so one of the other additions to Mass Effect 3 was the co-op horde mode style multiplayer. Um, 
And I have to say, I I was rather impressed with this. Um, I didn't like the microtransaction nature of uh, a lot of you know the gaining of abilities and weapons and and what have you, and the kind of random loot chests. Uh, so you bought the you know you bought money to buy you know, random chests that could end with rubbish. That stuff I found, yeah, it wasn't very well implemented. But the actual game itself, the actual horde mode uh, and picking classes and what have you, I I found that to be a pretty good time. I mean, it's crazy. It's the multiplayer mode that no one was asking for that actually turned out to be pretty good. You know, it, yeah. it's like uh, Tomb Raider and Max Payne 3 were probably similar experiences for me. Didn't want the multiplayer, didn't care for it, tried it, and it was actually really quite good. Um, you know, I, I had a lot of friends that played Mass Effect 3 uh, multiplayer all the time. Uh, it didn't quite click with me. Uh, it was a single-player experience, and I had so much more to play at the time. But it was certainly a lot better than I would have ever expe- expected it to be. And, of course, a lot of that comes down to the fact that Mass Effect 3 plays like a very solid shooter. Okay, it's about time that we heard from the community. If you want to have your opinion heard on the podcast, come over to the forum, com slash forum, and uh, have your opinion uh, written out for us uh, before we record podcasts. You can also send an email to podcast at com. So um, this uh, first correspondence is from Gallo Pinto, and he says... I didn't get to the Mass Effect series until 2014. When I picked up the trilogy for my PS3, I was blown away by the storytelling and world building of Mass Effect 1, and I thought everything about Mass Effect 2 was just about perfect. As a result, it was with a bit of trepidation that I started Mass Effect 3, because for two years I had heard nothing but what a terrible conclusion to the series it was. I was therefore surprised as I played through the game that it seemed like it was going to be my favourite Mass Effect. While I really enjoyed the caper film aspects of Mass Effect 2, I actually preferred how Mass Effect 3 drew so much on World War 2 movies and the soundtrack was excellent. I thought the Reapers were less interesting than the Collectors, but the story beats that had to do with my squad mates and the different species in the galaxy were phenomenal. At least in my playthrough, almost every storyline had a fantastically emotional and satisfying ending, especially how to solve the problem of the Krogan genophage and trying to help the Geth and the Quarians make peace. Throughout the game, Bioware was expertly concluding all of the stories they'd been telling, which is why I still don't understand how the wheels came off so badly when they tried to wrap up the overarching narrative. So much had been written about the Mass Effect 3 ending, and I won't try to add to it. I only wanted to say that even though I was adoring this game as I played it and I had my expectations for the ending set very low after years of hearing people trash it, I was still really disappointed by it. The 45 hours I put into Mass Effect 3 was some of the most engaging and thrilling time I've spent with a video game, and the ending doesn't change that. I'm also thankful to Bioware that the final piece of Mass Effect 3 content I played was the strange and utterly delightful Citadel DLC, where they focused... 
where the focus was put back on the fantastic characters. Now, we unfortunately didn't talk about the DLC uh, during our uh, section on the podcast. Uh, We just haven't played the Citadel DLC, unfortunately. I've heard nothing but positive things about it, but just due to the way this um, podcast came about and and how the schedule for the Kane and Rince Volume 5 worked out, I, we, I simply hadn't the time to replay Mass Effect 3 and then get to the Citadel DLC. I apologise for that, but I, will, I think the listeners are going to do a good job of uh, expressing their opinions on this piece of DLC. And Buscalily goes on to say... I played all three Mass Effects last year within a matter of months of each other, and after the endings had been extended. For me, the game absolutely completed the trilogy, which joins the Dark Souls and Mario Galaxy as some of my favorite games of all time. After two games of build-up, the Reaper's arrival delivered. The overwhelming odds and biomechanical horror reminded me of War of the Worlds, my favorite book. The characters all showed up again, and seeing Shep and Liara's love one last time was more satisfying than all the rom-coms on Netflix and every box set of Lois and Clark or The X-Files combined. I love the sensation of being in that universe so much I didn't want it to end. I explored every nook and cranny of the galaxy, completed all the DLC I could afford, and lost countless nights to the highly enjoyable multiplayer. When I finally launched that final mission, I stayed up until the sun rose, I'm not ashamed to say that there was a tear in my eye. The ending was the right one for the story I'd seen unfold, and I didn't very much care beyond that. Who cares about the mechanics, or what everyone else saw? After I was done with the game, and therefore the trilogy, I felt perhaps the worst example of that painful emptiness that comes at the conclusion of a story. Like watching the final episode or reading the final page of a beloved series, I really didn't know what to do with myself. Going into work the next day with bags under my bloodshot eyes, I knew nobody could understand the emotional roller coaster I'd been on. A bloody good game, I'll remember for the rest of my days. Baker's 12 said, My favourite aspect of the Mass Effect games was the shaping and continuation of your story throughout the games. Sadly, as Shepard's story was coming to an end, much of this was absent in 3. Regardless, I found that parts of the story were up there with the best that Mass Effect has to offer, like the Reaper's Attack of Earth and, for me, Modern Sacrifice. My main gripe with the story of 3 is that where I felt I was the catalyst of the events in the past games and that my decisions held the fate of the galaxy in the balance, in 3 it felt more linear and Shepard's reacting to events rather than moulding them and reacting slowly at that. There seemed to be a lot of messing about when the Earth was being decimated. The worst example is the conclusion of the Rachni story. Uh, It doesn't really change regardless of the actions that were taken in the first game. Maybe if the story of Mass Effect 3 was expanded and stretched over Mass Effect 4, then many of the shortcomings might not be so bad. I know a lot of people were not happy with the ending, and whilst it's not the best ending the game could have, I wasn't up in arms like like many others were. At least the decisions at the end were not clean-cut binary choices. I took a long time to deliberate over which one to go for. The game looks amazing, it's the most cinematic in the series, and, and it plays the best too. I also played a lot of the multiplayer. I found that surprisingly enjoyable. Mass Effect 3 was not Shepard's last hurrah, but a very downbeat farewell. I think Mass Effect 3 became a bit of a casualty of the series' ambitions as a whole, and many of the events controlled by the player from game to game and the investment to the brilliant characters, and of course to your Shepard, that any ending probably wasn't going to live up to expectations. 
The ending might not have been all that, but for me, it, it was all about the journey. Goat Snake says, I love the first game, and Mass Effect 2 is probably my favourite of the last generation, so I could not wait to get my hands on Mass Effect 3. It somehow felt like both everything I wanted and kind of a disappointment. In many ways, the game was exactly the big emotional end to the series I wanted, whisking you from location to location, as all of the series' various gigantic subplots came to a conclusion, one after the other. It was the culmination of at least 150 hours play and several hundred years of pretend galactic history, and it had me hooked from beginning to end. I secured a future for the Krogan, I stared at the screen for 15 minutes, unable to decide between the Quarians and the Geth, and I watched in awe as the Reapers destroyed everything in some amazing, if entirely non-interactive, backdrops. I loved it, and there were many great moments, but when all was said and done, I wasn't quite sure it was a great game. It wasn't until my second playthrough that the problems started to feel really apparent. One problem was the course of the main story felt way more linear than previous games, with fewer choices of main story missions available at any one time. Perhaps the biggest letdown was the much diminished number of squad mates available. What was the core appeal of the second game, the Normandy's ragtag crew, their storylines and your relationships to them, felt like it had to take a back seat to all of the big plot stuff happening everywhere. Sure, they all made appearances, but having them all tied to specific points in the story felt very different to when they used to hang out on your spaceship to be interacted with at your own pace. I think in the end Bioware were constricted by the scale of the events they'd been setting up for the past two games, with a smaller cast of characters and less freedom, the price to pay, for being able to tie up all of the loose ends. A lesson I hope is learned for Mass Effect Andromeda. There were other problems too. Some things just felt half-baked and hinted at too short a development time. The reporter character, for instance, just seemed entirely pointless and was a poor substitute for a proper squadmate. Oh yeah, and the ending. I didn't particularly have a problem with the choose-one-of-the-three-options approach. What else were they going to do? But the bizarre and confusing montage of imagery following whatever choice you made certainly wasn't quite the send-off the series deserved, and the expanded ending didn't, make, and didn't entirely make up for things. And then Buzz Aldrin showed up. That was weird. I can't even decide how I feel about the multiplayer. For starters, being forced to play the damn thing to keep the galactic readiness rating up in the single player really left a bad taste in my mouth. And the controls, which in the campaign felt perfectly adequate, suddenly felt anything but against the much more demanding enemies in the multiplayer. Seriously, who thought mapping, get in cover, dodge and interact to the same context-sensitive button was a good idea? On top of that, the whole thing was clearly just an exercise in levelling up, designed to keep you earning or buying randomised gadgets and loot. It should have been awful, and yet it was kind of fun, and I kept playing for much longer than I thought I would. Okay, uh, DelB2K says, Let's be honest here. Mass Effect 3 was a no-win situation. By creating a space opera that had so many individual strands, characters and bad guys, it was doomed to never create a satisfying ending for people. By creating a story that was so personal to so many people, the third had a horrendous task of trying to tie it all together while also saving the universe. The third game could never do it. Least I never thought it could. However, I quite enjoyed it. I liked the jaunt to bring everyone together, to see my old comrades in new places and using my skills to persuade them to join the cause to fight the an internal villain. Catching up with Garrus in his Wild West holdout, the Genophage showdown between the Krogan and the Salarian, 
that ended in a way that still creates a sense of real disappointment in me. Meeting Legion for the first time and discovering the real insight into the Geth and their relationship with the Quarians, leading to a choice that can have terrible consequences, were all standout moments from the series for me, even now. Yes, most people still zoom towards the ending, but truthfully, I can't see many other ways they could have done it. To make every choice made try and tie into an ending would have created so many possibilities it would have been unworkable and i have always firmly believed that the mass effect games have always been about the journey to the final decision rather than that decision after all hardly anyone talks about that stupid terminator 2 boss from the second game thank you for agreeing with me Also, the multiplayer was really, really good. Creating your character with specific abilities, being part of the a good team, was fantastic fun, especially when uh, mixing biotic and assault abilities to their maximum effect. Marshalling troops around a map and watching each other was superb, especially when you hear the panic when a high-level enemy appeared on the map. I will agree, however, that making this a part of the Galactic Readiness rating was a silly move and made too many people feel they had to play it rather than discovering it for the jewel that it is. Alex79UK says, There was a specific point where you go shooting cans on the Citadel roof with Garrus, and it just hit me how powerful the emotional connection I had with my shepherd was. It was just two friends hanging out, doing stuff but the music and the script and everything about it gave it a sense of finality, I guess. People moaned about the ending not being a fitting finale to the series, but I propose that the entire third game was an ending. It felt like, and it was, I guess, the entire game was one final mission and the end of an epic, truly epic saga in which we'd made and lost many friends along the way. And the actual ending itself, the final scenes, I loved them. They reminded me of Lost in a way, and I honestly don't have a bad word to say about it. It became more than just a game. It was a story. I thought about it and analyzed it long after completion. On my original playthrough, the ending I chose was what I, la- what I later learned from the Mass Effect wiki, the perfect destruction ending. The Reapers were destroyed, my squad mates survived and found themselves on a new planet, and Shepard lived, just about. Everything about the ending, the surroundings all shaking and exploding as Shepard activated the switch, then the cutscenes that followed, the building music, it was such an epic finish to the greatest space trilogy of all time. Yes, the greatest space trilogy of all time. Katie, 120, said... Mass Effect is one of my favourite video games of all time, and for good reason. I felt that this was going to be an excellent end to the series. Of course, nobody knew about Andromeda at this point, or if the series was even going to continue at all. I felt Bioware gave everything that they had. A lot of blood, sweat and tears went into this game, and a lot of tears came out of me when I played it. I loved the missions in 1 and 2, and when I was playing through sections and missions in 3, I was having tons of fun. But I felt this underlying pressure because I knew I had to get all of these species and groups to work together to take down this massive, terrifying race, the Reapers. My favourite section in the game has to be the Geniphase chapter. The constant action throughout, from rescuing the Krogan female, Bakara, to helping Grunt out with the Rachni to actually curing the Geniphage and saying goodbye to a good friend. Rest in peace, Morden. 
As I came closer and closer to the end of the game, I felt this sadness because I knew that this was the last time that I would go on this journey with my shepherd and spend time with all my awesome crewmates, Garrus, Rex, Tali, Kaiden, etc. I just didn't want to reach the end because I knew that this would be goodbye. The Citadel was a great send-off to an epic trilogy and a great cast of characters. What could be better than having a party with your kick-ass squad mates? Nothing. Everybody dancing, the pull-up contest with Vega, Grunt getting wasted and ending up in the shower, seeing the Shepherd shuffle one last time. Perfect. I just wanted to add something brief about the ending. I personally didn't have a problem with it. I liked the stuff that they added, but I would have been okay if everything was left just as it was. This is how I see it. We all knew that Shepard's journey was coming to an end. We were told that this would be the last time we played as Shepard, so I was expecting it to end just the way it did anyway. I just wanted to add that Sam Hulick is a fantastic composer. Mass Effect 3 will remain as one of my favourite pieces of video game music ever. Some of the music in the game brought me to the brink of tears. The characters don't even need to say anything because Sam Hulick's music portrays the characters' emotions perfectly. I just want to say a thank you to Bioware for giving me this fantastic, beautiful trilogy, giving me these characters that I bonded with and fell in love with. Thank you uh, to all our listeners who contributed on the forum. But now we move over to Twitter and our free word reviews. Alex79UK says, Star Wars beta. Saim Ahmed said, Flaccid, unsatisfying ending. Bald Nutbeam says, Unnecessary internet overreactions. James Archer, great until ending. John Lloyd, Citadel DLC, perfection. The Missing Links, not quite two. Mike Dixon Red? Blue? Green? Connor Roddy Multiplayer exceeded expectations Luke Jones says Alien Invasion Road Trip Peter said Excellent With DLC V for Vianetta says Pretty pretty good Alan Wilkinson Satisfactory but underwhelming Petrick says Citadel's the best Katie Stubbs, very emotional experience. Phil King, fitting trilogy end. Galapinto, still Miss Morden. Catatonic Gnarly, tear inducing soundtrack. Jack Burton, a worthy send off. Pete Terraform says, great co op mode. And Chris Eason, good series send off. All that leaves us with is our summaries, uh, starting with Brian. Okay, uh, well, I would say that uh, Mass Effect 3, for me, was a a very strong conclusion to a story that I had uh, ha- obviously had a hand in creating. Uh, obviously, Bioware helped to some extent. Um, but, you know, it, w- it felt like a very uh, a, a personal story, uh, ending... 50 minutes aside uh it was uh, it was a kind a series that would i think you know look back on in a few years you know if i'm reflecting on the games i played in the xbox 360 generation uh they're some of my favorite uh and i look forward to returning to them so you know i would go back i would recommend if people who haven't played it to definitely play it uh, and my uh, only hope is that um, Mass Effect Andromeda will come with one of those download codes on the Xbox One so we can get Mass Effect 1, 2 and 3 when they're finally made uh, backwards compatible because uh, it's time to, 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 to play it again and to, to see it from a different perspective I think. Uh, Ryan? Right, just to be very brief about this um, 
Yeah, I I very much enjoyed the Mass Effect trilogy. I, I feel like two was the high point for me just because it did tell more personal stories than this uh, kind of galactic scale warfare thing, which I found a little bit less compelling. But I do understand that that's just, you know, different tastes. Uh, my buddy Brody, who I talked about earlier, uh, liked the galactic scale conflict a lot better than the personal stories. He felt like number two was kind of treading water as far as the uh, kind of galactic threat, uh, galactic threat, um, thread of story was concerned. And so, you know, I'm, I'm willing to say that's just a uh, stylistic thing. Uh, as for whether or not I would recommend people go back to it, I feel like that's kind of a useless question at this point, because if you've played the first two Mass Effect games, then definitely play the third one. You know, it, it wraps up the series in a satisfying, well, I found it satisfying. It does a, it's a good final chapter on a uh, pretty strong trilogy already. Uh, although I wouldn't recommend people just go to it fresh, like how they released um, Mass Effect 3 by itself on the Wii U feels like kind of a useless move because you do really need that background and your choices to carry over from the first two games. But um, yeah, as long as you have that, then it is certainly worth ending the series. Carl. Uh, (laughs) Mass Effect 3 doesn't hurt me because of how it ends. It hurts me because of how close it is to being truly great. And I think, you know, I, I, I keep harping on about the indoctrination theory and, I think it's with a good point because I the idea that the villain from Mass Effect 1 was captured uh, with indoctrination in the same manner that you could have been in 3 throughout the entire trilogy without you seeing it would have been one of the truly great twists. Um, and if they'd actually delivered on that and made it clear as to perfectly clear outside of using a video with all the little evidence that that is there i think it would have been something completely truly unique and special in gaming as it is they didn't they went, they went for the most common typically video game typically hollywood ending um and that hurt it because mass effect 2 you know steered away from that and it, and it shone because of personal conflicts with the stories and it, and it came with a great finale and that that was the little bit of magic that was missing from Mass Effect 3. You know, the game plays perfectly well. In fact, it plays better than many other third-person shooters, but just to link on to something that Josh opened the show with, that Mass Effect 1 shone because it had really great writing. And it had great writing and poor mechanics. And as the series has sort of evolved, I feel like they swapped sides and Mass Effect 3 had good mechanics and the writing started to fall apart and it it did that really awkward thing of of standing on a fence of whether it wanted to be its standalone title or whether it wanted to use your uh, actions from Mass Effect 1 and 2 and those meeting of the characters and you know the way it handles the rack now you think it's going to be this really important thing you know they promise that if you ever need a favour they're going to be there and then that's over in 30 seconds I think if I'm being quite generous in Mass Effect 3 and you know you have these moments of true elation uh, moments with the likes of Grunt and uh Garrus in the Citadel and um, the, the the tragic story arcs with the, the, with the genophage and the potential assassination of uh, Mordin uh, by shooting him in the back. And they're the things that I come out thinking, wow, they were really great 
but you, you know you're still ultimately tainted by how Mass Effect 3 finished and there's a reason why I've never replayed it and I've replayed the first two there's a reason I never bought the DLC afterwards and it, I just felt like the way it ended I was done with it and not done in a good way you know it, it felt like it was unfinished business that I don't really want to revisit because uh, they sort of took advantage of me and I did not like that. And it feels like such a shame because I know I'm coming off negative on the game because 90% of it is really, really good. So if anyone, you know, hasn't played it and they've got to this far, that's, you know, we've really kind of hurt that experience for you. But it is, it's a, it is a good game and I do like it. I just think that of the three, it's the least special because that's where the writing fell apart and it was always the writing that had me in Mass Effect. Mass Effect 3 is a game that, I think the more distance I get from my first playthrough of it, the more I actually appreciate its more positive qualities. It's not as consistently brilliant as Mass Effect 2, which for me is the highlight of the series, but also just the highlight of all of the games that I've played uh, throughout my entire uh, engagement with this hobby. Um, Mass Effect 2, for me, is, you know, up there with some of my favourite games of all time. Um, Mass Effect 3 is just a really, really great game that falls down at certain key points. But those little stumbles, those little moments where it falls down, it doesn't take away from... Um, the moments that, like uh, the moment with the Quarian and Geth fleet uh, at a standoff, and you're having to have this conversation with Legion and Tally about, you know, which which species are you you're going to side with, and those moments still stand out as some of the strongest content in the entire series. That moment in particular. It, it, it reduces me to tears every time I watch it on YouTube or the last time I replayed it. it. It's just so affecting. And when it does focus on the characters, it, it continues to be really affecting in that manner. Um, the problem overall for me is that I feel like Mass Effect 3 doesn't realise that the characters are the draw. The characters are this franchise's strength. It's not the world. The world is interesting and it's a great backdrop for these characters, but it's, it should never have been the focus. And towards the latter half of the game, it, um, latter half is an exaggeration, the final quarter of this game, it completely focuses on the world rather than Shepard's relationships with all these people. And I think in a different game, in a game that was about that, that focused entirely on that, that ending would have been fine. But for this game in particular, that ending felt like a a choice that clashed with what I felt the series' strengths was. As it is, I do recommend Mass Effect 3. I think the high points are really, really high. I really love those moments. But it isn't the strongest in the series. And, as Ryan said, there's no point playing this without playing the other two. 
Right, well, that just leaves me to thank Brian, Carl, and Ryan for joining me on this podcast. And next time, in Volume 5, Issue 203, we enter a barren wasteland riddled with fire and ash and dust. The very air you breathe is a poisonous fume. And we don't even have 10,000 men to tackle this quest. We just have four. We're covering Middle-Earth, Shadow of Mordor. And now we leave you with some lovely music. Bye-bye. <laughs>